Well, it's Thursday night. Jesus has just celebrated the Passover meal with his 12 disciples in the upper room. And at that meal, he made a shocking declaration. One of you will betray me. After supper, with darkness setting in and Judas off orchestrating his deception, Jesus and the other 11 make their way to Gethsemane. In this garden, Jesus is deeply distressed and troubled. He's overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Take this cup from me, he asks the Father as the disciples who are supposed to be praying decide to rest their eyes. Finally, as the disciples are just waking up, Jesus declares, my betrayer is coming. Just as Jesus was speaking, Judas, one of the 12, appeared. He appeared with, with him came a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Thank you, Joan. That is our scripture passage for today um, and the story we're in. We're in a series right now called Intention. We're walking through the last seven moments in the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. And the goal of this series is, again, to dive into the tension, to be a part of it with Jesus and his disciples and to experience the moment and then to learn what God wants us to learn from these moments Our scripture reader today is none other than Joan Anderson. Joan has been at this church for many years, and she's just a wonderful, beloved person. Thank you for reading today, Joan. Um, This moment that we're in is perhaps more than any other, the moment when we see Jesus abandoned by those he loved and that he called to follow him. And our goal today as we dive into this particular passage is that we would learn from their failure. You know, when I was a kid, my parents used to say this to me, maybe your parents too, like learn from their mistakes. Someone else would blow it, maybe your brother or sister, right? Learn from their mistake. Don't make the same mistake. Today, we're going to do that. We're going to apply the wisdom of my dad, and we're going to try to learn from the failure of the disciples. Today, I'm going to ask us to step into the tension of this moment by asking, how are we potentially like them? How do we, like the disciples, shrink back from the face of controversy? How are we, as followers of Jesus, tempted to walk away from him when things get too hard? 
This morning, we're going to look at three different actions, three responses to the difficulty of following Jesus that we see in this passage. Here they are, three words. Betray, defend, desert. This is what we see from different disciples in this story. We see betray, we see defend, we see desert. Let's start with the first one. Jesus is praying in the garden when Judas suddenly shows up with a crowd armed with swords and clubs. These are Roman soldiers. These are religious leaders, temple guards. And we notice here how Mark is intentional to describe Judas to us. It says, just as Jesus was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. Judas, one of the twelve. Now, if you've been reading the Gospel of Mark, we already know that Judas is one of the twelve. But Mark points it out here again for us. He highlights it as if to say, can you believe this? Can you believe that one of the twelve, that someone who has walked with Jesus so closely for so long would turn his back on him? And yet, that is the nature of betrayal, isn't it? You aren't betrayed by your opponents. You aren't betrayed by your enemies. Jesus expects the Romans and the religious leaders to be against him, but betrayal is something different. Betrayal is when those you expect to help you, those you expect to stand with you or support you or defend you, when those who say they love you turn their back on you. Betrayal is hurt from the inside. And this is a bit of a side note to my message today, but some of you in this room have experienced betrayal. Betrayal from a parent or a child or a spouse or perhaps a dear friend. And I believe that perhaps in this message, Jesus may want to say to you, me too. I get it. I have also walked the long, hard road of betrayal, and I understand the deep hurt and pain that you have experienced. See, the Scriptures tell us that Jesus faced everything we face, and so we are not alone in the hurt and pain and tragedy of this world. And even in this, you are not alone in your betrayal. Your God understands your pain. Back to Judas. As the crowd approaches, there is a prearranged signal set up so that in the darkness there will be no confusion as to which one of these men is Jesus of Nazareth. That signal, the prearranged sign, is a kiss. Now, in our culture, a kiss is a very intimate thing. For most of us in this room, there are are probably only a small handful of people that it would be normal for you to kiss. But in other cultures, that is not the case. My grandfather, for example, was born and raised in in British Guiana. And if you you have geography issues, (laughs) or if you can't say geographically challenged, um, then that's on the very northern edge of South America. And in that culture, it is very common for men to greet women with a kiss, especially if you are related to said woman. If that woman is part of your family or extended family, then you will certainly give that woman a kiss 
upon greeting them, most often a kiss on the lips, if you're related. Now, I'll just tell you, this posed a bit of a problem for my wife when we first got married, because Amy's family, who is from northern Iowa, where, where they are, I'll say, very careful with their physical affection, joined our family, and we would get around the Teixeira clan, and my grandfather and my uncles and my dad would all want to greet her appropriately for them, and she got a lot of kisses, and she said to me a few times, what is going on here? We had to work through that in our marriage. We're still sort of working through that. She'll be here later, and she will agree. Um, But a kiss is used differently in different cultures. In first century Israel, it had been very common for a disciple to greet his rabbi with a kiss. It was a sign of honor. It was a sign of respect. It was a sign of loyalty. And so the gospel writers are showing us here the extent of Judas' betrayal. In fact, when you read this passage in Mark, he uses two different words for the word kiss. In verse 44, it says, Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. That's the Greek word phileo. It describes a simple kiss. But then in verse 45, it says, Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. Mark changes the word here. It's now katafileo. It means to kiss much. It means to kiss over and over and over again. So get the scene. How does Judas betray Jesus? By by smothering him with love and affection and kisses. By saying over and over and over again, I honor you, I respect you, I am loyal to you when he is anything but. Mark is highlighting here again the hypocrisy of Judas' betrayal. How on the outside, on the exterior, it appears that that Judas loves Jesus, but on the inside, deep down underneath, he is really just motivated by greed and selfishness. You see, the presentation says, Jesus, I follow you, but the motivation is that it's really all about Judas. And isn't that the perfect picture of hypocrisy? When presentation and motivation don't line up. Now let me suggest this to you. Here's where it gets personal. We can be like Judas. We betray Jesus when we do the same thing. When we take our selfish, self-serving attitudes, actions, and beliefs, and then sort of cloak them with a love for Jesus. You're thinking, When does that happen? Friends, I see this in our world all the time. And I sometimes see it in myself. I would argue that in our world, it's extremely popular, in fact, to take our thoughts and our ideas about a variety of subjects and then what I call slap a Jesus sticker on them. We think about things. We listen to our people who most often just reinforce our thinking. And then we go to the Bible with the goal of figuring out a way for God to agree with us. Because he certainly will, won't he? I mean, we're kind of on the same page, me and God. Here's my political perspective. Surely God will agree. Here's my racial perspective. Let's find some verses that will shield me from the hard work that I might need to do. 
Here's my understanding of sexuality. God will certainly agree with my experience. Here's how I and my favorite media outlets feel about the pandemic. So I'll leverage Jesus to push my agenda. Friends, this is nothing more than Judas. Lots of kisses. It looks like we love Jesus on the outside, but we are too often devoid of God's heart and thinking and posture and perspective on the inside. All we do is take our posture and perspective and slap a Jesus sticker on it. Sometimes we must choose the posture that we see in Jesus himself. The one we saw in him last week when he says, Father, what? Not what I will, but what you will. Not just what I want, I'm going to sort of assume you agree, but I'm going to actually work to change my heart and thoughts and feelings and perspectives to agree with you instead of assuming that you have my mind, my heart, my attitude. God, I want your heart and mind and attitude. I want to know what you really think about these things, even if it will cost me something, even if it makes me feel uncomfortable, even if it challenges what I have been taught to think my entire life. God, give me your heart. So that's the opposite of Judas. One of the things that Pastor Nick pointed out to me this week about Judas that I thought was insightful is that he acted alone. He never talks about his plan with any of the other disciples. They're shocked. They're dismayed at what goes down. And because he never talked about what he was thinking, what he was planning, how he was feeling, he never had the opportunity to be challenged or corrected or redirected in his thinking. Friends, we must be better together. We must be willing to humbly, and humbly is the key word here, right? Humbly listen to one another. We must be willing to graciously and lovingly challenge one another. This last season, I've experienced this numerous times and throughout my life, honestly. A lot of things that I've thought over the years or felt that have been just a bit off. And then and then, in this last season in particular, I go for my favorite five-mile hike in Forest Park, sometimes alone, sometimes just with the Lord, but most often with my mentor who I can share with and talk with and process with. And a lot of times he would just listen and love and encourage, but then occasionally would say, Dave, maybe you could think about it this way, not that way. Maybe God would say something different than how you're feeling or thinking. Because we don't want to be like the betrayer, do we? We don't just want a Jesus sticker on the outside. We want the true heart of God on the inside. That's our mission statement here, right? Becoming like Jesus, not just on the outside for people to see, but deep in our hearts and minds and souls. You see, we have to take a, a, a step back and a deep breath and surrender our pride and our preconceptions and very humbly ask, what do the scriptures really say? Not just a verse I can find so that I can feel better, but what do the scriptures really say? And then, just as important, who is the Bible calling me to be? You see, sometimes we are right, but then we act wrong. <laughs> what does the Bible really say, and who is the Bible calling me to be specifically in this moment? 
Judas does not do this, and so he betrays his Lord and Savior. Next, we see that Peter defends. Verse 46, it says, The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. The Gospel of John tells us that this was Peter. None of us are surprised. He is the impulsive one. Anyone here relate with Peter besides me? It's fun to be impulsive, and then sometimes it's not. We notice how Mark describes the scene, and Jesus just completely ignores Peter. Doesn't even comment on it. Doesn't even say, like, bad call. Doesn't heal the ear. Right? Just completely ignores it. Matthew gives us a few more details. He tells us that Jesus rebukes Peter and says, Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? A Roman legion, by the way, was 6,000 soldiers. So Jesus is saying here, Peter, with one word, I could have 72,000 angels fighting on my behalf. You do not need to defend me. I am more than capable. My father is more than capable of defending me if and when he so chooses. So put your sword away because that's not what I'm looking for from my disciples. And friends, I'd like to offer to us this morning that the same is true today. Jesus does not ask. He does not Need He does not call his followers to defend him. He calls us to represent him. Listen to how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5.20. We, followers of Jesus, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. That's a beautiful verse. You see, when you defend, the other person becomes the enemy. When you defend, the other person becomes someone you need to repel or defeat. But when you represent, when you act as an ambassador, the goal is not to defeat, but to pull into alliance, to form an allegiance, not to repel, but to attract and to win. Friends, we have to reframe the conversation because guess what? The world is not our enemy God did not come to defeat the world. He came to defeat sin and death. The world, people far from God, he loved so much that he gave his one and only son. You see, we must be very careful to even when it feels like the world is attacking us, not draw our swords in response. Because it's not the Jesus way. We are not defenders We are ambassadors. A friend of mine recently uh, shared a story with me that I think illustrates this beautifully. His young adult son in his 20s is not walking with the Lord right now. Kind of walked away from faith in Christ and following God. And my buddy was praying about this. He was praying about his boy and talking to the Lord about his son. And he asked Jesus one day, This is a few weeks ago. He asked Jesus one day, Jesus, what would you want to say to my son right now? And he's listening and he's talking to the Lord and he's expecting Jesus to say something like, you know, well, tell him, you know, he hasn't been in church for a while and God would really like to see him there. 
Or, or maybe just tell them something like, you know, even though you've walked away from the Lord, he's never walked away from you, right? Both of those are not bad things. But it's not what Jesus said to my buddy. As he prayed, he felt like Jesus said to him very clearly, time and time again, tell him I like his tats. See, my buddy's son had just gotten two brand new tattoos. And he was really proud of his tattoos. And he liked them a lot. And my buddy's talking to Jesus, and he said, just tell him I like his tats. He's like, what? Tell him I like his tats? And Jesus just said, yeah, just tell him. So my buddy did. He went to his son and said, hey, son, I was praying for you, and I was talking to the Lord about you. And I asked Jesus what he might want to say to you, and Jesus told me to tell you he likes your tats. And, of course, his son is as shocked as he was, and it's like he, he, he likes my because it's not what he's expecting either. And all of a sudden he's thinking, differently about Jesus than maybe he would be tempted to think. And I say to that, good job, Dad. Well done, Father. Way to not be defensive or attacking. Way to not just defend the faith, but way to be an ambassador for Christ in the life of your son. Church, Followers of Jesus Christ gathered together today as a part of Cedar Mill Bible Church. You are Christ's ambassadors as though, listen, as though God were making his appeal through you. The Lord of the universe, the King of creation, wants to share his love and grace and compassion and mercy and salvation with our world. And he wants to share it through you. Don't defend, represent. Don't go out to fight. Go out to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Instead of defending the cause of Christ, represent the heart of Christ. Judas betrays, Peter defends, and finally we read this, verse 50. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Never say that the Bible's not a little scandalous. You know those little like warnings they give you at the top of Netflix that say like smoking, violence, drugs, sexuality. Like the Bible has some of those too. Here we have it. Um, that's kind of a joke, but not really. Uh, you wonder about this naked kid, don't you? Like, why is this naked kid in the story? Scholars debate this. It's like a constant you know, source of conversation. A lot of scholars believe that this naked young man is actually Mark himself, that Mark, the writer of this gospel, is saying, like, I was there. I was a young man. It's one of my first experiences with Jesus. And, and, he's, and he's sort of confessing. He's saying, and even I abandoned him in this moment. That's sort of a guess. We don't know that for sure, but I do believe that it's, this gospel writer's way of saying, everyone deserted him. They did whatever they had to do to flee. In his most difficult and trying time, not one would stand by his side. And friends, I would say it's easy for us to be judgmental of the disciples in this moment, and yet it is very easy for us to also walk and even run away from Jesus when following him gets hard in our world. You see, we, we love to follow Jesus when it's fun and when it's easy and when it's acceptable and when there's no cost and when it fits nicely into my schedule. By the way, way to show up early today, even with daylight savings time. Good job. I was expecting like six people at this service 
And you guys have, you know, you pleasantly surprised me today. It's a good start to the week. But we love to follow Jesus when it's convenient. But as soon as the heat gets turned up, as soon as it gets too uncomfortable, as soon as it is there's a price to pay, we too often shrink back or walk away. A few examples. Sharing our faith. Last week, we talked about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. How he goes to the cross and endures separation from the Father because it was the only way. We talked about how Jesus, and Jesus alone, is the way of peace and hope and security and reconciliation to the Father. And yet, sharing Jesus, talking about faith in God in our world today is hard. It is tough. It is intimidating and scary. It feels vulnerable. And there is a real risk of rejection. So most of us don't do it. We just run away. We desert. We choose to have nothing to do with Jesus in that way. Here's another example. Talking about racism and abuse. It's uncomfortable. It is, isn't it? It's hard. It's challenging. It digs deep into us and forces us to confront some things about ourselves and about our world that we would rather just ignore. So too, too often we choose not to engage. One of the things I've loved about Cedar Mill in this last season is that we have just begun to engage these issues. Some of you have stepped into groups where you've wrestled with and thought about these difficult subjects, and that is a good thing. It is good to fight to have the heart of Christ in the difficult places. I hope more of us will engage in that as we walk forward. Or, or sexuality. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but it's a tough subject in our world. It's a tough subject in America. It's a tough subject in Portland. It is difficult. It's personal. It's sensitive. It can be complicated. And so too often we just avoid the subject. And the list could go on. I could talk about giving, sacrificial giving, not just obligatory giving, not just giving to make myself feel better, but giving that really, you know, that sacrifices so that others can thrive. I could talk about serving, using your gifts to advance the kingdom in this world, not just volunteering for a short moment so that you can feel good, but really giving yourself to something, pouring out your life and gifts and talents so that the kingdom of God could advance through you and this world. That costs something. Doing good is not easy. I've always said it. You can do bad in a second, but if you really want to do something good, really good for God, it's rarely, rarely easy and convenient. I can talk about loving our neighbors, which sounds great until your neighbor's really bugging you. I can talk about praying for those who persecute you, which also sounds good until someone actually persecutes you. I can talk about humility and forgiveness, all things that sound wonderful in a sermon, but when, they're, when we're confronted with them in this world, we are tempted to say, you know what, no thanks. Not for me. And friends, here's the point. We learn a lot about our commitment to Jesus when walking with Jesus gets hard. So where, where is God asking you to not run away or avoid and instead to step into the difficult with him today? Where is he asking you to, to step in even though it's maybe not your favorite thing, 
not convenient, not fun. Because that's what we see in Jesus here, right? He stands in such a a contrast to the disciples. His response, his attitude and actions and emotions are different from theirs. Right in the middle of the chaos and the panic and the tension as the soldiers and armed guards are bearing down, Jesus does not defend, he doesn't betray, he doesn't run, he's calm. He's steady. He's full of peace. Listen to what he says, verse 48. Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Essentially, Jesus says, I'm not avoiding you. I'm not resisting. I'm not putting up a fight. And essentially he says, do what you will. Arrest me. Have your way. I'm right here. I'm putting up no fight. I'm confident even in this moment. Why? Why is Jesus so calm? Why does he not betray his father? Why does he not defend himself? Why does he not take up arms? Why doesn't he run with the rest of them? Here's the key. Here's the statement that tells us, I think. Jesus says, the scriptures must be fulfilled. In other words, God has a plan, and I trust that plan because I trust my Father. Jesus is calm because he has such amazing faith, because he has such just phenomenal trust. Friends, our, our world these days is not lacking in things to create panic and anxiety in your life. You probably already know this, but let me remind you today. Gas prices are on the rise. The economy is real shaky. I don't know where that's going. The coronavirus seems to be settling down, but it's still out there. Who knows when another variant will pop up? In case you missed it, there's war in Europe. Russia, a nuclear power, has invaded Ukraine. No idea where that will lead. And that doesn't even include the the list of personal concerns that you might be facing and probably are these days. You see, if you look at our world, all the pain, all the hurt, all the brokenness, all the struggle, the very instinctive sort of response from so many and often from you and me is run, defend, just turn inward towards greed and self-protection. But Jesus says, Nah, that's not my way. That's not the way of the Father. Let me offer you another way. Let me offer you a better way. Peace in the midst of panic. Calm in the midst of the storm. Faithfulness in the midst of the frantic. We notice here that Jesus' trust in the Father doesn't lead him away, by the way, from the hard things. He's not peaceful because he's avoiding. He's not peaceful because he doesn't have to deal with them. Jesus' trust in the Father doesn't lead him away from the hard things of this world, but towards them. That's the paradox, right? The disciples are running, avoiding, fleeing, and they're stressed and full of anxiousness and panic. Jesus is stepping right in, calm, steady, secure. Why? Because he has amazing faith in his Father. Phenomenal trust in his God. You see, friends, as followers of Jesus, we've been given that same thing. Confidence 
security. We've been given power and strength and humility and grace to step into and engage and endure the hardest things of this world and not just run away. You see, the gospel, if you really understand it, if it really starts to swallow up your mind and heart and life, says difficulty in this world does not need to scare you anymore because you know the end of the story. We've gotten the sneak preview. We all know what happens on the other side of the cross. We all know that in this world we will have trouble, but that the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has overcome the world. That's everything in this world. Everything on your personal list and everything on that list that I just read. So Jesus says, you can respond like me. You can be steady and serene like I am. And so that's the truth that we are invited and offered and called to live with. We can walk with that truth even in this world that we live in. As ambassadors of Christ. As people who say, hey, I'm here to represent Jesus and to offer you the way of peace and hope and security that this world can never give. And we do that by stepping into those places that are tough. The disciples betray and defend and desert, but we don't have to. We don't have to because of the empty tomb and the power of the Holy Spirit and the certainty and a hope that we have of everlasting life. See, that's the good news today. There's nothing out there that can take you down because in the end, the one who has ultimate victory is on your side and my side. As we remind ourselves of that truth today, we preach the gospel to our hearts so that we can face the trouble we have in this world. I'm going to pray right now, and I'm going to pray that we would have more commitment than the disciples in this scene because we have more knowledge and we have more power than they have. They don't have the knowledge of the other side of the cross. They don't have the Holy Spirit in this passage, but we do. And so today is a great day to recommit yourself to the gospel, to living as a gospel person in this world, to invite those truths to transform your mind and heart. Or maybe today, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never said, Jesus, you are Lord. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Your gospel is good news, not just for the world, but for me, then to commit yourself to Jesus. And so I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna respond to this amazing story by worshiping the king. So pray with me if you would. Father, this morning we come before you and we remember your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your power and majesty, that your ways are above our ways, that you are you're bigger and better than we can even possibly imagine. Impress on our hearts, God, Remind us of who you are. Remind us that your promise is to never leave us nor forsake us. May our confidence be rooted not just in circumstances, Lord, but in you, the unwavering love that you offer to us. I pray, God, that we would recommit ourselves 
to this gospel, this gospel of grace and mercy and salvation and confidence and peace and hope and joy. We confess, Lord, that we too often try to face this world on our own and then we fall. So help us, Lord. Help us to walk with you. Help us to be people of peace, ambassadors who represent you in this chaotic and crazy world that we live in. And Lord, maybe some in here have never given their life to Jesus. They've never made that declaration in their mind and heart to you. Yes, Lord, you are Lord and King. You you died on the cross and you rose to new life to defeat death for me, to reconcile me into right relationship with you now and forever. God, I pray if there's anyone in this room who, Holy Spirit, you're asking to make that declaration, that they would just say those words to you now. God, I'm yours. Lord, you're mine. You are my God and King. And then, Lord, again, help us as we go out into this world to not defend, to not fight, to not flee, but to represent. That's our prayer, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.